understand which products you should be selling, you need data to know what's moving, what's not. You need to be able to look around the market and see what other people are selling or what's slowing down. Um, but beyond that, it's consumer psychology. I mean, half of what we deal with, half of what I deal with in the work I do has to do with psychology more than data or technology. The following is brought to you by Thrive, the end-to-end -end client experience platform that helps you get the job, manage the job, and get credit. Hey, hey, this is Gordon Henry at Winning on Main Street, and this week you get to meet Mike Province. Do you like to drink alcohol, bourbon, gin, tequila, maybe a nice bottle of wine? Do you ever think about why you buy what you buy and where you buy it? Meet Mike Province. Mike is CEO of 3x3, a marketing technology company focused on modernizing the ways beverage, alcohol brands, and independent retailers engage and sell uniquely to the beer, wine, and spirit shopper. He's an expert at solving complex business problems. He's been involved in some incredible innovations such as MapQuest and the original cookies used in advertising online. Uh, and at 3x3, he now helps mom and pop liquor and wine stores to compete against big box stores and other large liquor outlets. Mike also serves as assistant professor of entrepreneurship and innovation at Old Dominion University. He focuses on the transformation of small ventures into fast growing value creating companies. Welcome, Mike. Thank you, Gordon. Happy to be here. Great to have you. So Mike, first, just tell us in your own words about your background, kind of how you got here. Sure, I, I come out of the tech space. I, 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 you know, the last time I was in the beer, wine and spirit space, I was driving delivery truck in college. So most of my career has been helping uh, various kinds of companies across industries figure out how all these different waves of internet technology and data and all of that have can shape their future. And, and, and companies bring me in to solve hard problems. So tell me, what is 3 by 3 specifically? And what is, what is kind of the mission of 3 by 3 Our mission from the very beginning was to help the independent beer, wine, and spirits store, the mom and pop, the small chains, the ones who competed against big grocery, big Sam's Clubs, Costco's, things like that, um, to give them the same tools that those big companies have and their ability to understand what's happening in their stores and go out and find the right customers for their stores. Most of what we do, we translated from other segments of retail, beauty, fashion, grocery, places where they've been using data and technology a lot longer than beer, wine, and spirits. Okay. And is it about data exclusively, but are also technology used, for example, in marketing, like how it can be applied into the marketing mix? It, it, absolutely both. Um, the foundation is data because that needs to drive the future of any sales and marketing than any retailer does. Right? The, the, the days of waiting for people to show up uh, in your store are gone, right? And whether you're still having people walk in to buy products, buy bottles, buy wine, buy spirits, or you're going online, Either way, you've got to get them to the store. Sure. Okay. So tell us about the process. How does 
you know, how do you collect the data you collect? And then what's the magic you use to influence future behavior? Sure. So we, we started with a great set of retailer partners across the country and in Mexico who wanted to know more about what was happening in their stores and the market around them. So they shared data with us, transaction data, what was in the receipts, what was in the baskets of the people that were leaving the store. And surprisingly, this is data nobody had ever really collected from these small mom and pop liquor stores before. Uh, the bigger data companies had collected it from the bigger side of the market, but but in this industry, in beer, wine, and spirits, over half of all retail sales happen through these independent liquor stores, restaurants, bars, et cetera. So you know, imagine ignoring in you know fifty percent of your market and just assuming that whoever bought there behaved the same way as they did if they shopped for beer, wine, and spirits at a grocery store. You know, intuitively not the same, but. That's how it was treated. So we started with that. We collected the sales data. And in that sales data, it enabled us to identify the types of shoppers and using some third-party tools, build models of who those shoppers were, meaning what, what were the behaviors, the demographics, the household characteristics of the people who shopped in those liquor stores. That then enabled us to create, you know, take if you take a small sample, you can find lookalikes that create you know, the, the model for the audience you want to reach to sell beer or to sell wine or whiskey, tequila, spirits, et cetera. Okay. Um, and then they use this information to uh, change the layout of their stores, push certain products versus others, change their advertising. Yeah. Typically, it had to do with what to merchandise on the end caps, what products to show together perhaps rearrange you know, how you're presenting premium versus ultra premium versus kind of your lower price products, uh, but also to make pricing decisions and product selection. What, what will people be buying in the next three months? Let me make sure I'm ordering that and getting it into the store. Uh, and then finally, how do I communicate with those shoppers to let them know they should shop here? So it served a lot of purposes. We delivered those analytics back to the retailers um, but we also gave them the tools and, and automated the process of running marketing uh, for those retailers. I'm, I'm always surprised how many businesses um, ignore some of these uh, customer traits at their peril. You know, for example, if you're a customer, take your liquor store example, who goes to the liquor store frequently and does spend a lot of money, you know, you sort of expect to be treated a little bit better than those who don't, right? Just like, I mean, the airlines are particularly good at this, right? They, you know, they know you're a frequent flyer. They know you're uh, somebody who goes to the executive lounge, you know, the Admiral's Club, um, and they give you all sorts of perks and, and emails to sort of make you feel important and recognize your spend and who you are. And many small businesses um, fail to do that, perhaps because they just don't have the data or haven't thought about the marketing strategies. but. It does seem to work, right? It, get, it, it makes you want to come back more because, uh, you know, for example, with the miles clubs at the airlines, I mean, we all tend to now fly on a particular airline because we want to uh, drive up our number of miles and eventually use those miles, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, if I, you know, one, one recent experience I had with a dryer cleaning, you know, service that was, you know, number all these firemen, kind of firefighters gathered together and created a business to clean dryer vents out. 
you know, from the beginning of it, it was all done through their website. I didn't have to pick up the phone and call anyone, which is for me, a great service, right? The guy showed up, he showed up and provided me photos and showed the service along the way. And then at the end, when he left, I got a survey right away. And so they're immediately collecting information to connect back to, you know, my experience and hopefully matching that up to my address and demographics about the address because they can then sell around me to all the others who are probably more or less similar to me. You know, that that's the kind of thinking that progressive retailers service or product should have in their back of their head. Right. Now, I know your experience is heavily in uh, internet uh, and, um, you know, goes way back, as I mentioned at the beginning, some of the real innovations in the early days of the internet. Um, does the work you're doing now also include e-commerce and, and online buying? And how, how, it, how important is that to these local retailers? Well, in, in the last couple of years, e-commerce got a lot more powerful for them. You know, in, in, our, in this sector, in the beer, wine and spirit space, prior to, prior to the pandemic, uh, only about probably 10% of retailers had websites. And of those, their sales were only about 5 to 7% of total sales in the store. So in this modern era with mobile phones and internet, most customers bought their alcohol by walking in the store, right? By showing up. And then that changed. Today, that number is probably, you know, 40, 40 to 50% have a website. Hmm. And their sales have probably settled in around 15 to 20% of, of that being e-commerce. So it's a growing import area of importance. What's more important is the connection to the delivery services online because that's taking a bigger share. Um, so while it's not their website, they need to be able to connect their inventory into these other sites. Um, so the, you'd asked the question earlier about inventory systems. Well, that actually is a place for investment. You know, it may not be your web presence that attracts people, but if you make it easy to do business with affiliates or partners, they're going to send you business through their online channels. Right. What got you into this retail alcohol space? It wasn't always what you did. What, what drove you or interested you in uh, getting serious about analyzing and uh, becoming a consultant in the space? Sure. In my, in my background, as you mentioned, it's all internet data and tech. The other common thread has been that I've done entrepreneurial and innovative work, innovation work in industries that are highly regulated. So before I was doing this, I was actually building a, a, a real-time um, uh, business for medical practices, for dental practices, right? and being able to do on real-time eligibility and benefits checks, uh, which is a sore spot for the consumers who go to dentists. Right? And so I've always been dealing with data that's you know, protected, consumer data, patient data, et cetera. Um, and being able to build businesses that can change behaviors, change the industry, but do it in a space where you have to navigate regulations and laws. Got it. Uh, this is fascinating. We're going to take a 30-second break uh, to hear a word from our sponsor, and we'll be back with more from Mike Province. 
This episode of Winning on Main Street is brought to you by Thrive, the end-to-end client experience platform that includes everything small business owners need to meet their customers' expectations. Thrive's award-winning and fully mobile interface delivers technology previously reserved for big business to the fingertips of small business owners nationwide. Thrive's built specifically for small business, but there's nothing small about what it can do. Thrive handles your entire customer experience, helping business owners reach more customers, stay organized, get paid faster, and generate online reviews, all from a single device or screen. To learn more about Thrive, visit winningonmainstreet.com and click on Get a Demo. When it comes to software to run your business, there's no comparison. Check out Thrive today. And we're back with Mike Province of uh, 3x3, and we're having an interesting conversation about how he has used data and analysis to uh, help uh, local independent liquor stores compete uh, against bigger uh, stores, big box stores. So how has it worked? Um, you've been doing this for a while. Have the local independents using your data, using your technology, been able to successfully or more successfully compete against big box stores? I'd like to think yes. In fact, I was talking with one earlier who told me that you know, he, when he was looking at his marketing budget and deciding what to keep and cut, when he looked at the performance of our services where he was turning around a $1,500 investment into $20,000 in new sales, you know, that that's a meaningful monthly jump in his sales in his, in his store. And that kind of impact, you know, it is probably on the, on the order of you know, the top 10, 25% of our shoppers or of our uh, retailers but everyone sees an impact and that impact happens throughout the funnel. You know, I think an important thing that we try to remind our retailers about marketing does not equate to sales, right? What marketing's job is to get shoppers in the door. It's to get them to consider your store versus other choices. So it's moving them through that funnel. That's where we were most successful with our retailers. We could identify the right shoppers because of the data and then our marketing would move them into consideration into the stores. Once they're there, then a lot of other factors kick in in terms of final purchase. But you know, one of the things that the retailers liked about our model is that we we're bringing brands to them as well who wanted to be able to gain visibility. So it was a it was a kind of symbiotic uh, service. Right. Uh, so speaking of that funnel, um, I've heard you talk in, in, in other podcasts, actually, about the magic of discovery. You talk it, to call it the magic of discovery in the local independent retailer versus the grocery store uh, or big box store. That I guess people behave differently in the local independent. They do more browsing, perhaps. Can you explain what you mean by the magic of discovery? And how did you find and exploit that opportunity? Sure. The you know, when you, when you look at retail, most retail sectors for, for the consumer have, the search has moved online, their buying behavior has moved to writing out a list, right? Think about your experience when you go to the grocery store, typically go with a list and maybe grab some things off the shelf. Well, in the, in the beer, wine, and spirit space, the typical grocer may have 2,000 SKUs, 5,000 SKUs on their shelves at any given time. And that, that, that may even be 
overstating. The typical liquor store is carrying 10 to 15,000 SKUs on their shelves. So the reason people shop in liquor stores isn't because they have to stock up on Barefoot Chardonnay or they need, you know, four cases of, you know, Miller Lite. They can go to the grocery store and buy that depending on what state they're in. They go there because they're trying to find that new regional IPA that came out. They're, try they're going because there's some new wine that they just heard about from friends or saw on Instagram and they want to try it out. Those are the products where these independents can really succeed, right? They, in states where there's a lot of competition selling beer, wine, and spirits, meaning grocery sells it, gas stations sell it, Total Wine sells it, the local liquor stores struggle to be competitive. And the way that they can compete is to play to the one thing that they can deliver that others can't, which is a wide variety of unique SKUs that people can come in the store and discover. Because the local liquor store owner or st store manager still spends time understanding what products they're selling and hand selling that to the person that walks in the door. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. So you, you advise them perhaps on, on that as well, not just things as simple as like, you know, here's what sold the most, here's what sold the lowest least, but a little bit around the strategy of merchandising. Do you get into that? We do because it's all tied together, right? To, to understand which products you should be selling, you need data to know what's moving, what's not. You need to be able to look around the market and see what other people are selling or what's slowing down. Um, but beyond that, it's consumer psychology. I mean, half of what we deal with, half of what I deal with and the, what I, the work I do has to do with psychology more than data or technology. Yeah, very interesting. Before we go, Mike, we just have a minute left. Um, I, I got to ask you about, uh, you know, you, you, you were involved with some of the, as I mentioned at the beginning, some of the seminal inventions really of, or breakthroughs of the internet in I guess the early, 19, early, early to mid 1990s with MapQuest, the advent of uh, advertising cookies. What was that like at that time for you? It must've been extremely exciting, this whole new world, right? It was, it was familiar and new at the same time because I'd come out of you know, the computer tech world from the 80s and 90s. What was interesting to me, the, the one thing that we did accomplish that is, you know, we take for granted today, MapQuest 1.0 was built on, on a system that didn't use cookies because cookies hadn't been invented yet, right? Which meant we had to be able to track users, store their information, know they showed back up, serve them back the maps they were using before, all without having to drop something on that computer. When you think about it in terms of data ethics and consumer privacy today and the changes that are coming post cookies, it's almost like we're going back to that era, but with you know orders of magnitude better technology to do it with. So I don't worry that we won't be able to be competitive and compelling to shoppers and consumers without cookies sitting on their computer. As a data ethicist, I think that's where we have to be. We have to respect the privacy of the, of the consumer and give them a reason to share, right? which is what it boils down to for any retailer. You seem like a very busy guy between all the work you do for this business, uh, a professor or assistant professor at Old Dominion and so forth. Um, do you have any time for fun? What do you do for fun? I'm trying to get back into sailing, which I used to do was a real, real passion for me personally. 
Nice. But I've got family and pets and all of that to keep me busy when I'm not not doing this other work. That's great. Well, I want to thank you for stopping by, Mike. And before we go, how should people who are listening, for example, retailers or other businesses that might want to get in touch with you, use your services, pick your brain a little bit, um, how should they get in touch with you? Uh, the easiest way, the, the website's 3x3.us and my email's uh, m, there's Mike at 3x3.us. Great. Okay. Well, great to have you on the show. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please tell a friend or colleague to subscribe and please leave us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. Until next time, make it a great week.